Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph is back with a message entitled, Who is Our Enemy? We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and now, here's Pastor Ralph. We are continuing our study of Ephesians, but we're, we're going to kind of begin to really zero in on a portion of the book of Ephesians that talks about spiritual warfare. And the, the term spiritual warfare does not appear in the Bible. The Bible says here that we need to prepare ourselves, we need to make ourselves strong in the Lord's mighty power, because we come up against an enemy that we cannot see. We come up against enemies that are are demonic angels of the dark side that are, are, are mighty and are powerful and are rulers of, of spiritual forces in the heavenly or the unseen places. And as we look about, upon this, it's, it's, it's pretty important. It, it's going to change a lot about how you view the world if you understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about in these verses. And so I'm going to spend some time in this. We've, we've actually, today is our 29th week in the book of Ephesians. And we're probably going to spend about 18 more weeks in the next half a chapter. Now, I'm not going to be able to zero in and dig that much out of the next half a chapter, but I'm going to use it as a launching pad to move out into other places in the scripture on this subject and try to tie this thing together kind of for once and for all so we get it in our minds. And when we deal with the concept of spiritual warfare, I want you to think first of two things. I want you to think of, of, of conflict in the Garden of Eden. However you view the story of the garden, what you have to understand is it's telling us that God made us. God made this wonderful planet for us to live on. And he called us to do what the Bible says, to rule over the planet, to govern it, to take care of it, to possess it. And along comes the enemy. The name Satan means the destroyer. His name originally was Lucifer. You read about this later in the Old Testament. And the Bible says he was the angel of the morning, the guardian of light. And he turned against the Lord. He, he envied God and God's position. And he wanted to be like God. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven and cast down to the earth. And the Bible says that he became the prince in the power of the air, the prince of this world, the ruler of this dark world, it says in one place. Along with him came one-third of the angels of heaven. The word angel means messenger. Now they become messengers of the destroyer. The New Testament calls them demons. And they interact with humans. And as you read it in the, in the story in the garden, mankind is tempted to turn their back on God and not live under what we would call the kingdom of God. But to follow a different leader, which now means they come under the power of the kingdom of darkness. And everything that God meant for good, Satan meant for evil. And he comes to destroy, to kill, to steal, to rob, to take away those things that God wants to invest in humanity. I think that you need to see this concept of spiritual war, of this, this cosmic battle that's going on for the souls of men. And you need to see it pretty much everywhere around you. You need to see it in the struggle that took place when you came to the Lord. If something pulled you toward the Lord... Something pulled you away from the Lord. I think you need to see it in, in, the, in the terrible, terrible tragedy that's going on in Iraq today. 
And the, and the destruction of human life, just the wanton, horrid murder that's going on on a daily basis. Is Satan having a field day in the hearts of people because the influence of the kingdom of God is so weak in that situation? The influence of the kingdom of darkness is so strong in that situation. I think that you need to understand spiritual warfare when you're thinking about the lives of your children and preparing them for adult life and protecting them from the things of the enemy. I think you need to think of spiritual warfare any time that you think of missions. You know, we go into Japan. The only country in the world where Christianity is shrinking is actually in Japan. If you look around you in Japan, you look pretty much everywhere. The thing that absolutely dominates Japan is, is perverted sexuality. You understand that high-tech Japan, the number one yen-producing, dollar-producing industry in Japan is the sex industry? And it moves everywhere from child prostitution to the manga, the comic books that people read on the train. I mean, go to Japan one day and just look over somebody's shoulder while they're reading comic books on the train, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, because it's just, it's just rank pornography. And we struggle in Japan. We struggle, we struggle, we struggle to do evangelism, to bring people to the Lord. Why? Because somehow the kingdom of darkness is so strong in that place. And it's going to take some sort of a spiritual breakthrough to change this thing. And so as, as we look at the world, I want you to see, and, and as, as we look through the Bible, in these, looking from these verses and going around different places in the Bible, you're going to see that virtually everything in the Scripture is presented to us in the context of this sometimes overused, sometimes weirdly used, and I don't want to get weird about it, terminology that we would call something spiritual warfare. It's, it's, a, it's kingdoms in conflict, and we're caught in the conflict. Your life is caught up in the conflict between light and darkness. Now, as we look at this, how does it affect our life? Where do I fit in this? See, I, I start to think, God's writing a story. Where do I fit in his story? Because that's going to tell, that's going to position me. The best place to be for victory in spiritual warfare is dead center in the midst of God's will for you. When I step out from under the will of God, I'm stepping out from the kingdom of God. When I'm willing to yield to the will of God, I'm living in the kingdom of God. And I'm protected. I don't have to be fearful. Attack may come. A victory is mine. And I need to see my life in, in that. Where do I fit in your kingdom? And what is my mission in your kingdom? Because as I'm fulfilling the mission, I'm, I'm going to be assured victory. God's going to be with me. He's going to empower me. And he's going to strengthen me. And victory is going to come my way. Does this make sense to you all? Well, as we get into this this morning, the series is called Deliver Us From Evil, Spiritual Warfare in the 21st Century. And we're going to talk about just knowing our enemy and, and understanding what does the Bible say to us about some of the events that go on in our lives. You know, why is it that you make a move in God's direction? Someone asked this question in church a few weeks ago. We had that, that guy Chuck Ripko was here and we did question and answer. And one of the men stood up in the service and said, why is it? That when you step out in the, in, in the direction of service to the Lord and obedience to the Lord, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of things go wrong in your life, one after another, after another, after another, after another, of negative coincidences. So once you understand spiritual warfare, suddenly you go, oh, I understand what's going on here. I'm moving in the Lord's direction. I become contested. Now what we're going to have to learn is how do you resist the devil? How do you fight him back? You know, where do we go from there? And we'll do that as, as we get into this. But I want to start out with a survey. If you are, if we have your email address, then we sent you something that's called Hope Chapel uh, Kaneohe Briefings. 
Or we sent you something that is like a little e-card and it has the graphic on it that you see on the screen behind me. And there's a place that you can link to on that graphic. You can just click there in the email and you can go to a survey that we put online. Now, uh, as of this morning, 131 of you had filled out the survey since the thing came out this week. And we put it there so that you could interact with us. That's good. I want your opinion. It really would help me as a preacher to know. And so I'm hoping you'll go home this afternoon and take the survey. But also, if you're talking to somebody at work about this, you know you can whip online and you can go to the survey and just get them to take the survey. And, and it'll, it'll be a conversation starter. And so we're just trying to put some interactive tools in your hands to do these things. But here's a survey. It says, first, do you believe in the possibility of paranormal activities? The world does. There are three television shows coming out this season dealing with the paranormal. One is somebody who is a district attorney who has visions, and those visions help them solve crimes. Uh, this, is, this is becoming standard fare in our world. We're waking up to the fact that this is a spiritual universe. So the question, do you believe in the possibility of paranormal activities? 93.9% of us said yes. 6.1% said no. Second question, did you ever experience a visitation from something that you perceive to be a ghost or some other spiritual being? 59% said yes, 41% said no. You know, I had an experience in Japan about seven years ago. I was sleeping in a church building to save the pastor money that was hosting me. And uh, I was actually sleeping on the floor of the nursery, which is where I often slept when I travel on trips to Japan. And I, I was alone in the building. I heard a door slam on the floor above me. I was on the second floor. And I heard somebody walking down the steps, just kind of trump, 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 real heavy footfalls. I was immediately, like, paralyzed. I couldn't move. I heard this person, thankfully, walk past me and go down to the first floor. I heard a door open and slam on the first floor. I laid there, unable to move for some time. And then I got myself free, and my assumptions were this. There's a homeless person in the building. Thank God they went past me. And I was so freaked out that I was unable to move, which is a little unusual for me, but that's the way I was. When I got myself up and about, I knew where to go and arm myself in the kitchen with kitchen cutlery. And I went around the building flipping lights on everywhere I could. And I know the building well, so... I was able to put myself in a position where I could trap somebody if they were in the building. There was nobody there. That day I was talking to my friend Corey Grinder, who's the pastor of the church, and another two other friends. They said, oh, that's such and such, and they named a Japanese term. And I, I go, what do you mean? And, and they, they rattle off this word again, and, and they said, that's so common. That happens to everybody all the time in Japan that they encounter some spiritual being and they're frozen. They can't move during the time. So much that there's a word in their language for it. And then Corey said, don't you remember Sunday night when you showed up and I was sitting in, it was way after church was over. He said, I was sitting in the dark in there just playing my guitar and singing. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, there's something in that end of the auditorium. And he goes, I know it's there. It's, it's dark. It's affecting our church. Now, this is a church that could never get over 18 people in membership, constantly fighting and bickering, horrid stuff going on, attacking the pastor. And he goes, I sit in there every Sunday night and sing worship songs because there's a scripture in the Old Testament about people going off to battle worshiping the Lord. And he goes, I just do it to irritate whatever's in there. Now, the odd thing is, the odd thing is, I had sat there while he was singing and I, myself, without, I wasn't going to say something to him because I didn't want to come off weird. 
I sensed something over in the auditorium. It felt weird. So that all goes on in the afternoon. At nighttime, we decide, there's several of us together, we're going to go back and go into the auditorium and just hold a little prayer meeting that night and try to pray whatever's in there out. And we were in the downstairs office area of that church, and my friend Sean O'Donnell and I are sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, we hear again a door on the third floor close. Somebody come tramping down the steps... And the door that's kind of a doorway past in a little hall down from us to the parking garage, open and slam. Well, we go, there is a homeless person. Forget this spooky stuff. And we go running out the door. And we get running, I go out the door, and there's nothing there except Corey walking up with his guitar. He had gone home to get his guitar. And he goes, it happened again, huh? And, and I go, how do you know? And he goes, whatever it was, it just blew by me. I could feel it as it blew past me. You make whatever you will of that. Here's the question. Did you ever experience a visitation from something that you perceived to be a ghost or some other spiritual being? By the way, we went in and prayed that night over, together, a bunch of us, over the church building. And just we went around and laid hands on chairs and stuff. I mean, things that you might think are a little weird. And, and you know, they had a crisis within a few weeks in that church, and the people that were causing the problem were now gone from the church. Today, there's 180 people that attend that congregation, and it's a light all over Asia. The third question is, have you ever felt like you or your family or your business was under spiritual attack because of a series of negative events or negative coincidences that came on you in a very short time? 83.2% said yes. 16.8% said no. Number four, do you believe that angels are assigned to help believers? 97.7% said yes. 2.3% said no. Number five, which answer is the most accurate? I am a spirit within a body. I am a body that possesses a spirit. I am neither. I don't believe in spirits. 80.9% said I am a spirit within a body. 17.6% said I am a body that possesses a spirit. There's a vast difference. If you understand that you're a spiritual being that happens to have an interface called a body that allows you to work in this world, that's one thing. If you believe that you're primarily a material being that happens to have a spirit, that's another thing. A third answer was, I am neither, I don't believe in spirits. 3.1% said that. Number six, do you believe the spirit world can cause changes in the material world? 96.9% said yes, 3.1% said no. Last question, do you think the term spiritual warfare is A, an accurate description of life for all people on this earth? B, something that is real but only involves Christians? Or C, a silly concept overused by Christians? 93.1% said they believe that spiritual warfare is a term that accurately describes life for all people on earth. 6.1% said they believe that it is something that is real, but it only involves Christians. And eight-tenths of a percent said it's a silly concept overused by Christians. Go online. Take the little survey. I'd like to see what happens the rest of the week. But as we, as we get into this, I just want to look at three verses of Scripture today and, and talk my way as quickly through it as I can. In verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, 
against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. You could read the word heavenly, invisible realms, wicked spirits in the invisible realms. Paul clearly says that the problems that you face in this life are not human in origin. You look around you, there's people out to get you, there's people that, that contest your leadership, there are people that are struggling with you in some sort of a financial situation. There's that sister-in-law in your family that doesn't get along with anybody, whatever. And, and he says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're, we're wrestling against something that's ugly, but it's unseen and it's powerful. And you need to get yourself ready for the battle. Now, backing up, up to verse 10, he says this, a final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Paul is writing to the church that has to be the church that has his heart. His most successful ministry is in the, the megapolis of Ephesus. And he has planted a church that has become a living, growing organism. They believe that in Paul's day, there were as many as 200 meeting places. In other words, 200 locations like this one where people were worshiping. Probably mostly homes, so it wasn't huge groups. But they were really permeating that community with the gospel. The church was growing in this area. And yet Paul says, be careful, be warned. This can, this can go south on you in a hurry. If you read through the book of Revelation and you come to the first few chapters in Revelation, you'll find letters addressed to seven churches. And, and as the Lord addresses each church, I don't think it's a single building and a location. I think it's a community with multiple worship locations going on in the community. And he warns against their light being put out. And their church not really existing in the future. All seven of those places are, are in what today is called the nation of Turkey. It's an Islamic country. Where I was at in Holland last week, I was at this pastor's conference, and they translated in seven languages. I was speaking to people from, mostly from Holland, but also from Germany, from France, from England, from Switzerland, from Belgium, from, I don't remember, a couple of other places. But, but one of the places was Turkey. And we have a pastor who was there, Foursquare Church in Turkey. He went and registered himself as a Christian with the government. Now, when you're born, there's a birth certificate, and on the birth certificate, it asks you your religion. I think this happens in America. A little bit odd to ask someone their religion the day they're born, if you kind of catch my drift there. But everybody in Turkey, the, the answer is the same. What's your religion? Islam. And so this man went to the state and said, I want to publicly declare my Christianity. I want to change the registration of my religion. And they didn't have a form to fill out because nobody had ever done that in modern history. Turkey is trying to become a modern first world democracy. And so it protects people's religious feelings. Although there's been intense persecution against Christians in that country. But because of George Bush and some events happening in the Middle East, the politics in that area of the world are changing. And so suddenly there's protection to people who are called Christians. And, and so they were bending over backwards trying to figure out how to re-register this guy. And finally all they did was go and fill out a new form and change the word. But they didn't have a form along the way to doing it. He went further than that and he registered his church with the government. And it's the first time in modern history that anybody can remember there being a church that was identified as a church in the nation of Turkey. Now that's pretty heroic stuff, but it also reflects what we're looking at here. Paul's writing to a thriving church in what is now modern Turkey. 
and saying, get it right, get careful, because the devil wants to overwhelm you and he wants to swamp you. And so you put yourself in a right position so that you can win the battle. And so he says, this is my final instruction to you, to people that he cares about. He's written a lot about grace, a lot about God's power, a lot about relationship. And he says, it's my final word. You be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Now, in a way, those are encouraging words. In a way, those are chilling words. You be strong with the Lord's mighty power. In other words, God's not going to do this for you. You have to do this. Here's the problem with American Christianity. We've memorized a verse in Ephesians so well that we've forgotten the rest of the Bible. And that verse says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not by works, lest any person should boast. In other words, salvation is something God entirely did for us. And, and we've, uh, we've memorized that. It's true. But we've memorized it to the detriment of everything else. We have this attitude that God did it all. God will do it all. And that's not what it says. It says God did it all. And then it says you've been saved unto good works that you should walk in them. In other words, you get off your chair and do something and get out there and serve the Lord and make your life count for something. Does this make sense? See, the one, if I just memorize the one verse, then life is all about me. God did everything for me. He'll do everything for me. I accepted the Lord. I'm on my way to heaven. I just go into cruise mode. And one day I'm, everything's going to turn out all right. But you know what? That's not at all the picture that the scripture teaches. We live in a, in, a, in a cause and effect universe, and God expects us to do our part, to carry our, our end of the stick. Does that make sense? And so he says, you be strong in the Lord. Now, I could spend the rest of the day talking about how to be strong in the Lord, you know, how to, how to get into the word, how to get into a prayer life, how to get into fellowship with other people. And you know, we talked about the five purposes of the church, worship, Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism. Those are ways of getting strong in the Lord. Do something. You be strong in the Lord. You do the thing that you know how to do. You know, here's my assumption. Most of us, myself included, are not doing all that we know to do in terms of being strong in the Lord in our relationship with him. There's more. Some of us are doing very little. Others of us are pressing into God. Paul's saying, press into God. Get serious with the Lord and get strong in his mighty power. Now, this word power brings us to a whole other kind of a concept. You know, what is your view of Christianity? Is Christianity for you some sort of a philosophy that you have come to, to believe in God and good things? And because you believe in good things, good things are going to happen. And, and you, you, it's kind of a, a moral and ethical thing that you signed up for. And, and you do your best at living a pretty good life. And one day you're going to go to heaven. If, if that's Christianity to you, that's very short of what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about the power of God to transform a life, to change our habits, our attitudes, our values in a flash. To respond to our prayers in miraculous ways. If there's anything that I can say that redefines Christianity in, the, in terms of the millennial generation, the kids that are about 20 years old and under, is that somehow they understand prayer in ways that you don't. Now let me say it. And that I don't. We are seeing things happen amongst the young people in this church that only can be explained by God answering prayer and them tapping into the mighty power of God through the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a world that taught me that God didn't exist, 
that we lived in a steady state universe. I mean, this was before they even understood the Big Bang, that creation was impossible. And I spent my whole experience in, in, in growing in the Lord always sort of stuck on the arguments, the philosophical arguments about the truth of the gospel. And somehow that kept me from maturing into a place where I really, truly, truly plugged into faith and the power of God to change things. And I understand as I read this, that Paul says to me, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And there's, there's more for me to grasp. There's more for you to grasp. And it's as we become strong in God and we become strong in his power. And, and a good way to know that you're that way is when you pray first and ask questions later. See, most of us, when a problem comes, a crisis comes, we want to do everything we can to solve the problem. And if we come up failing, then we gather our friends together and we go, let's pray. And we kind of do this as a, as a sort of a, of a last ditch, I'm on the edge of despair effort, hoping that God might do something. We'll know that we're living in the power of God when our first response is to pray and believing that God's going to change the world around us. Then's when we know that we're in a place where we're in a position to do battle with Satan and win. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 